What are you drinking? So I have some some of that herbal wine. I have bourbon somewhere, but it's not very good bourbon. So I just switched back over to the. What was the not very good bourbon? It was Four Roses, but it was like a cheaper bottle of Four okay, Roses. Okay, because I love Four Roses. My like go-to everyday drinker is Four Roses single barrel. If it's just like the regular, just the regular Four Roses, I would like mix that in a mint julep. But um, the single barrel, I like. And it's actually funny. There's like a city just north of here. There's a Louisville, Colorado. Do they pronounce it Louisville? No, they pronounce it Louisville. Oh my God, yes. What's it like practicing? What's it like doing acupuncture in Louisville, Kentucky? It's been so long now that I can't imagine what it wouldn't be like anymore. (laughs) Uh, Did you have trouble fitting in when you first moved there? In terms of like fitting in, I feel like I kind of already had like plans set in motion for how to like start things off. Like I was already teaching yoga. So then right off the bat, I was like, talking to yoga studios and asking about if I could um, apply to teach. Um, So that was pretty quick into, you know, getting myself immersed in one community with like the yoga community. And then when we started our practice, we decided we were not going to pay ourselves through the clinic until our business loan was paid off. So I started working at Trader Joe's. So I like got immersed in that community and just a bunch of different places. And I feel like that's something that surprises a lot of people when I say like, oh yeah, there's a lot of yoga in Louisville. People are like, really? There's yoga in Louisville, Kentucky? There's so much yoga. So did you find that there's a population of people who were into what you were doing, who are into that kind of lifestyle and health conscious? Yeah, there's so many surprising things. Because I mean, I guess once you're in it, there's a huge yoga community. And then there's like, such a big yoga community that there's like, there's the hot yoga community and there's like the not hot yoga community. (laughs) Um, But there's so many studios here. And I think just from that alone, that was like a really good way to start networking. Um, And then I kind of made it a goal from the beginning to get like, to get to know the people at our local Lululemon because Mm -hmm. I was familiar with the brand. I knew that they worked with people who are either yoga teachers or other sort of fitness instructors or people who work in health and wellness. And so I kind of made it like a goal to be connected with them because they have a lot of foot traffic through their store and they like to chit chat with their customers. So I knew if like they knew who I was, they would be able to tell everyone who walks through that store, who I was. Yeah, because that's one of the things I wanted to ask you, because I think when I talked to Patrick, I asked him this question on your behalf. But now that you're here, I can ask you. Um, Because when you all moved to Kentucky, it's Patrick was moving back to his hometown. So he knew people, he had family, he did martial arts growing up, he had a lot of connections. But for you, this was a completely new town where you knew nobody. So was it difficult to build a business, build a practice, build a clientele when it was completely new to you? Um, yes and no. I mean, when I, when I moved here, it didn't feel like I knew nobody because I came with Patrick and I came with other people that I knew. Because when I moved to California, I did know zero people. I mean, I knew like two people, but that was different because it was like they were not involved in like 
acupuncture or anything. It was just like a whole like outside social circle. So I kind of had to like immerse myself in San Diego in a totally new way, being so new. Um, And I think I just kind of used those same kind of like socializing and networking things that I learned when I first moved to California. But it didn't feel as alone or lonely (laughs) because I knew people that I was moving with. So like you did yoga, you went to Lululemon. Were there other things that you did to get involved in the community and get immersed? Um, I mean, those were the big things. Um, I think like working at Trader Joe's too, you just talk to a lot of people every day that come through your line. So that was a big, like a good way to practice, like when people would just kind of chit chat with you. Yeah. Just just being social with the people you encountered. Yeah. And seeing like what people talked about. And like when I moved here, I was like, everyone here is so fucking nice. So I often use you as the example of like you're the queen of networking that you were, <laughs> you just have have so much skill in being like talking to people and immersing yourself and getting even just talking to people in Trader Joe's, getting them to come in to see you for acupuncture. Um, but for me, like I'm a really introverted person. Like mm-hmm. I hate talking to people, especially <laughs> in groups. Uh, yeah. Do you have any advice for me about how I can gain those networking skills? Um. I think I have had a lot of success with like other getting to know other practitioners like chiropractors. Like I have a really good relationship with my chiropractor. And so here's another thing that like Louisville has that's pretty awesome and surprising. It's like there's a really great birth network here. So when I got pregnant, I met all these people and mostly women and they're like as women business owners are just like really supportive and really good at communicating and connecting. Um, So I definitely think that was like a great benefit to our practice. Um, Getting to know like my chiropractor who mostly works with women, families, like they do pediatric chiropractic. They specialize with like prenatal. So tons of women going through that practice who are pregnant they refer so many people to us for prenatal and postnatal care. So if like um, someone, sometimes their first introduction to our practice is like, oh, like they told me that you can help me with like making sure my baby is turned uh, before I have to deliver because I'm like either transverse or breached. So they'll refer us tons of people. And then once they're in our door and kind of hear about everything we do, then they're like, oh, can I come here for afterwards and what kind of herbs can I take? So I think getting connected with like other women practitioners has been huge. Um, Like a lactation consultant that I saw, she has seen so many women in her practice. And so just from using her services and then her getting to know me, now she sends me tons of her, her clients. So I think just like that way you don't have to like, socialize with a big group of people at a time. But if you find someone who is connected to many people who see them through their jobs, I think that's a really good way of connecting if you're not super comfortable with like just striking up a conversation with like anyone. 
So when you say you connected with these people, was it just like you went to a chiropractor and that was like your chiropractor and you started connecting or did you purposefully reach out, like went through the phone book and found a list of chiropractors and sent them your business card? We've had other, we've had some chiropractors reach out to us when they saw that we opened um, because they saw that as an opportunity as like a way to cross refer. But the chiropractor that I see was just who I saw as a patient. Um, My midwife recommended this practice. And so that's another thing. It was like through my midwife, I like learned about all these, like that's how I know my lactation consultant. That's how I know um, my chiropractor. And then through them also the craniosacral therapist. So um, I was a patient of theirs first. I started seeing them when I took Aurora when she was like weeks old. And so I just established myself as a new patient when I took her as well. So it sounds like your networking was just a very natural thing with just people that you encountered. It's not like you mm-hmm. you had this plan or the strategy that, oh, I'm going to go network with these people. It just kind of happened naturally that the people who were in your life, that you, you saw a doula, you saw a midwife, you saw a lactation consultant, you talked yeah. to people, and that's, that was your networking. Yeah. I think the only like intentional one that I did was to make sure I had my yoga, yoga teacher training done before moving to Kentucky so that one, I could find like a job (laughs) outside of opening our clinic. And so I could meet new people too. Cause since I didn't know anybody, I was like, this is how I'm going to find my people. Cause you know, I want to connect with people with like common interests and yoga was a good place to start. So I feel like one of the differences between you and Patrick is your approach to work-life balance. So so how did you manage building a business, having a practice, but also having a life outside of work? Um, I think that I don't define myself from my work, and that's what separates us from from that work-life balance because he very much defines himself from his job and his work. And that's who he is. Um, I think a lot of people associate me with my job and that's who I am to them. But I'm also a lot of other things because I have a lot of interests. So I definitely prioritize taking those interests and spending time on those interests. Like right now, like circus, aerial arts is like a huge outlet for me. I think even like prioritizing family and going on vacations and taking breaks. I feel like that came a lot easier to you than it did to Patrick. Oh, yeah. I mean, as soon as Aurora was born, I was like, I'm not working six days a week anymore. I mean, when we first opened, we opened June 2012, and we were working. We actually were open seven days a week when we first opened, and then we were like, this is too fucking tiring. So then we moved to six days a week. Um, So I worked six days a week from – you know, 2012 till 2015. <laughs> um, and part of that was also working Trader Joe's and teaching yoga. So I think like the hustle was for sure the first year and a half. And I think like even in that first year and a half, though, I still would like make plans for like, OK, I'm going to take a weekend. Larry and I are going to take a road trip, you know, something like that, where it was like just us. This might be me being judgmental or 
speaking out of turn. But I feel like with Patrick, a lot of that drive and that need to work was actually fear-based. Like he was afraid that one day he would show up to work and his business would just come crashing down around Mm -hmm. him and he would lose everything. And I feel like it's easy to say like, oh, that Patrick, he's such a worrier. Or I think it's easy to have this hippie mentality of like, oh, you can't live in fear. You can't have a scarcity mindset. You have to have an abundance mindset. But on the other hand, I feel like those are kind of legitimate fears to have, especially when you're trying to yeah. – you have to support your family and things like that. You have yeah, there's rent of- to pay. There's like a lot of expenses with a big space like we have. And then that also is amplified by like we have other practitioners besides us now and we kind of want to make sure that like they're seeing enough people so that they are happy and stay there. So it's like you have to support your employees, your other practitioners. You have to support your family and things like that. So did you have those same kind of fears that Patrick had? I think in the beginning I did when I wasn't sure if I could gain the momentum of like seeing enough people on a regular basis. But I think by the end of the first year, that was not a worry anymore. And then probably by the end of you know, the second year was when I was like, how can I work smarter (laughs) and not be here six days a week anymore? And what kind of strategies did you implement in order to do that? Was that like hiring front desk people or? That didn't come till a lot later. Um, But I think, I think that like by the second year, some of that early networking had started to show exponentially. Like the the connections that I had made with Lululemon or the connections that I'd made with yoga people. Because I mean, just like you were saying with like when you refer people in California and they're like, oh, I told so many people about you or whatever that doesn't, they, that, that doesn't like end up as a referral, but like maybe it does down the line. Like maybe it does eventually. It was like, oh, I've told my aunt about you for so long. She finally came in or like when that kind of adds up over two years of practice and then the longer you're in practice, then more people are like, Oh, I've heard about you. I've heard about you from three different people. It's time for me to come in. Yeah. So it's like in that first year you were planting a lot of seeds and you didn't necessarily see the result right away. But then when you got into your second year, those seeds started growing and you started seeing like the fruits of those efforts. Yeah. Was there anything else that you did to sort of like make your practice more efficient or in terms of working smarter instead of harder or things that you did that you were able to reduce the time that you were actually in the clinic, but still make money. I think the longer I practiced, like the more familiar I was with how to talk to new patients, how to sort of like manage my time in a treatment. Um, So I was more comfortable overlapping my treatments and seeing, you know, someone on the hour and someone on the half hour or someone on the hour and someone on the 15 minute, because I could explain things much more succinctly. I could explain to them my plan for what we were going to do in that treatment and then what we were going to do next week or in two weeks. Um, So they already had a clear idea. And so by the time I was like checking them out and scheduling them for the next one, every time after that, like the conversations were shorter and it was like, okay, I'm just booking with you next, next time. So you do run multiple treatment rooms. You see multiple patients at a time. Yeah. Just... I keep it at just two an hour. 
Because I feel like that's something that sometimes students would ask me in the school clinic, that when we're in school, we only see one patient at a time. And so they were concerned that when we get into the real world, we're going to want to be running multiple treatment rooms. How do we learn that skill? So is that just something that it kind of happened naturally as you got more experience and more, more comfortable with it? Yeah, as I got more comfortable with it, definitely. Yeah. Um, I think like I got more efficient with like asking the questions I needed to ask and then answering their questions that I needed to answer and then getting them on the table and get started. Usually now I'm more comfortable with like scheduling someone at like, if I know that they're like a regular and they come all the time, then if I want to overlap someone, I put them at like the 15 minute versus the 30 minute because then I can get the other person started right away. So we were in the same practice management class in school. Um, how was that class different from what actually happened in the real world? Mm, yeah, all the forms that you need to have done, like the different like tax forms or like having your NPI number, you just like those little random paperwork things that you're like, oh, I need one of those. Or, all the legal things. Yeah, all the legal things. And obviously, like, that was a class we took in California, so, you know, they couldn't speak to every type of practice and where you're going to practice. Um, but all those kind of, like, tedious things to get started were not discussed. And that's what takes up so much time. And then I think, like... I don't know. I guess there wasn't really um, a clear understanding as to like what building a practice would look like and how much time it would require for each day, but also for how much time over a long period of time to expect results. And obviously that's different for everybody. Yeah, but did you say, I think I talked to Patrick, he said like two or three years. Do you remember how much time it felt before you really felt like the your business was self-sustaining? Yeah, between the two and three year mark was when it felt really good. What's it like working with your husband? Like, do you ever get sick of each other? Like, we need time apart or do you work pretty well together? I think we work well together. I think part of it is that we're in the same space at work, but we don't really, I mean, we're obviously like running different treatments at different times. So we're not like in the same room all the time, but we kind of manage different aspects of the clinic and how it's run. Like we kind of oversee different parts of it. But it's never been a thing like you've been at each other's throat where like shit that happened at home came into the clinic or shit that happened at work bled over into home or anything like that. Not really. You actually have a good relationship and you get along <laughs> with each other. Yeah. And I mean, like, there'll be things where it's like, sure, I'm going to eye roll at something. And like, we always joke about like, he can't find a certain thing. And I'm like, oh, you're looking with your man eyes, you know? <laughs> are you like a yin and yang couple? Are you a yin and yang pair? Do you compliment each other? Yeah, I think we are. And I think like, in some ways, like, we're both like... I have a lot of yang about me, but I also have a lot of yin about me. So it's hard to decide like which one is more. I think that helps. I mean, and I think like as individuals, we're really like, we're really independent. So I don't think it has, I don't think it puts a strain on like 
either the work or home relationship. How's your treatment style different from Patrick's? Do you think that's like a yin and yang compliment as well? <clears throat> yeah, I think so. I think I spend more time in the room with people than he does and kind of chit chat with them a little bit longer. I think he like does not prefer to do that. <laughs> um, and like he definitely is, he's more often bad cop to people. Like he's more like, he's more hard on them about their diet or like he'll be a little bit more blunt about like getting their shit together. Whereas I think I like slowly put it in with each visit and kind of like add more things like, you know, like would be really good to do to add in is adding bone broth, you know, or just something like that. Like each time, like, ah, oh, you know, what's really great. <laughs> Whereas he's like, if you don't do this shit, you're fired. <laughs> what kind of lifestyle recommendations do you usually give to your patients? Um, I always like to ask if people have an outlet for stress, whether it's exercise or a hobby or even just something like cooking. Um, I always like to make sure they have some kind of outlet for stress. And sorry, that's Aurora like stomping around. <laughs> But yeah, I feel like Patrick is, he likes to be very scholarly. He likes to read the classics and take kind of that snooty, pretentious approach like like I do. Uh, are you the same way or do you feel like you're more grounded, more practical about those aspects of the, of the medicine? Those things interest me, but I don't, I don't cling to them, if that's a way to describe it. And I think like when I talk to my patients about like the approach that we're taking or like, you know, what's going on with them. Um, I try to like translate it in a way that that doesn't sound too like convoluted for them. And for some people you can, yeah, like you can kind of tell like who's ready to hear like about chi or like if they even like bring up the word chi. But like for other people, I'm like, I'm just going to translate this to you in a way that will be a little more palatable. Yeah, because I feel it's kind of like Patrick is trying to pull them on board with Chinese medicine. And it sounds like maybe you're like you're trying to make it more applicable to them where they are on their level. Yeah. but And by the time they experience it, then they know the magic that it is or what's happening in their body. So I think my explanation of it is more like simple and broken down in a way so that when they experience it, it has a lot more impact. Were you on the news lately? Yeah. How'd that happen? So I guess, I guess first of all, like, how did you set that up? One of our patients works in PR, and she, like, she was like, you guys need to be on and talk about how you treat, like, because we've been treating people for, like, their lingering COVID symptoms. And she was like, this would be such a hot story. Like, you, ne you need to be on. Um, and we've been on, like, when we first opened, but like those little segments at like 520 in the morning that nobody sees on a network that isn't, doesn't get as much traction. So this was the first time it was on like more prime time and with someone with an anchor that like everyone watches in the afternoon. So that was really awesome. But it was through a patient who has been coming since 2012. And she like, she comes super regularly. She like talks about us all the time to her, her friends. And so she refers us a lot of people She's like a PR person, so it's like that's her nature is to connect. So she just set that up for us. 
did doing that, did you see that translate into more patients coming in? Like, did was that an actual thing that brought more people in? I think maybe in the first, like, week or two afterwards, people would be like, I saw this on the news. I read it, you know, I, and then more often if it was, like, someone who already sees us or who has come in who, like, saw me on there and was like, oh, I need to, like, go back in there. It's been a while. I feel like that was more... I saw more people come out of the woodwork um, after that that hadn't been in a co- in like a couple years or like just kind of as a reminder. Yeah, um, but like a couple people who had seen it had asked about it because of what they saw on the news. But I feel like that's not like a long term. No, I was just curious about that because there's a YouTuber that I follow that he was talking about. He got a spot on the news and it actually didn't increase any business for him. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting. But what he did say is. It just like it's something to put on your resume. It just gives him more clout that he can put on his website like That's oh, true. as seen on TV. And it was really more that that was the benefit, not that he got 10,000 more subscribers because he's on the news. So I was kind yeah. of curious about how that would work with a brick and mortar type business. Yeah. And I think it's not necessarily people watching the news as it's aired. Like when we shared it on Facebook or when I like added it to a story or to Instagram then like the patients that we already have shared it to their stories or shared it to their Facebook. So that already was like reaching more people that way. So you've been seeing a lot of post-COVID patients. So like what kind of what kind of symptoms have you been seeing? What type of patterns have you been diagnosing? Have you been giving certain herbs? Um, a lot of people who had lost their taste and smell <laughs> and if it didn't come back even after they got over COVID. So for several people, just treating them with like liver patterns was super helpful because of like how liver is so strongly connected with the smell and just doing like sinus points, doing the herbs that we'd normally do for sinus points or moving liver chi. There's definitely been a lot of people talking about hair loss. Oh, that's interesting. Um, Probably just because of how much it stresses your body in general, but, and it's usually like a few months after they had it. So I think like pretty similarly to like postpartum hair loss, like pretty commonly like women after they've had a baby around like four months after is when they notice that their hair is thinning and coming out in larger pieces in the shower. That can be similar to the timeline with post COVID Um, maybe like a couple months or maybe like weeks after getting over COVID they're noticing hair loss. So I feel like a lot of stuff is like liver blood or liver chi. Cause I think once the respiratory stuff is over that heat or that maybe, well, I guess some of the latent heat shows up through the liver. Um, I had someone with like real bad rash, like all over her whole body. Um, but that's also how she reacts to when she gets sick anytime anyway, when she gets a fever, like she'll have a a rash somewhere. So that's kind of her tendency. But um, she took herbs that were for like moving liver chi, clearing deficiency heat, and her taste and smell came back right away. And her rash went away after like maybe one batch of herbs. I don't know. Is there anything else we should talk about? I don't know. I feel like I'm reaching at this point. I know. I I feel like I have nothing interesting to say. I didn't come up with good questions. (laughs) What advice would you give to someone who's just starting out in practice? 
um, that like how it looks in terms of like what you picture your practice to look like is going to change all the time. So like even if something like when you first start doesn't seem like the way you want it to, it'll change as you're more experienced or as like the type of people who walk through your door change or like the style of acupuncture that you do, even that will change. Like the more people that you see, I think you kind of like hone your skill and your, and your craft, like as time goes on. So to not have a fixed idea of what your practice should look like, I think that helps you feel like a sense of like, not necessarily detachment, (laughs) but like don't feel like you have to have it be a certain way. Like you have to be flexible and don't be attached to one vision and things like that. Yes, yeah. So how have you been there? I mean, what's it like moving to a new place when when it's still kind of COVID times? I mean, I've been kind of a hermit. And mm-hmm. that was kind of the plan anyway. It's people are like, oh, are you gonna are you gonna start up a practice? I'm actually not super excited about practicing. Maybe mm-hmm. this is just I hate people, but I'm not super excited about uh, seeing patients. Well, I guess I can ask you this: like, why did you get into Chinese medicine? Because I feel like there are some people. It's like, oh, I want to help people. I want to heal the world, and like. I was never like that. I feel like I got into it for very selfish reasons that mm-hmm. I was just curious and I wanted to know about it for my own curiosity. Yeah. I have a little bit of that too. But I feel like I actually don't like helping people. At this point, I'm just kind of like, <laughs> you people. Like, you're like, help your damn self. Yeah. It's like you're causing <laughs> your own problems. Like, can't you see that? It's like, you don't need acupuncture. You just need to stop eating Oreo cookies. But don't you want to help them see the problems that they're causing themselves? Maybe they just need that, like... No, so it's like this one time I had a patient that he was... It was like a 26-year-old male. He was coming in with um, basically anxiety attacks. He would say, oh, I have these episodes where my heart is racing and my palms get sweaty, mom's spaghetti. And there seemed like there was nothing wrong with them. And so finally I was like, we're going to go out on a limb here. How much coffee do you drink every day? And he's like... <laughs> Actually, I don't drink any coffee, but I do drink like four cans of Monster Energy. Oh, my God. And not like the little ones, the big ones. Yeah. I'm like, dude, I'm pretty sure there's a warning on the can that says not to do that. (laughs) Yeah. And so I would tell the story and people would be like, oh, well, what you need to do is you need to treat his shen. There's something in his shen that he feels the need to do this. And so if you treat the shen, then he will no longer need to drink these monster energy drinks and that will fix his problem. And I feel like on the one hand that's valid, but on the other hand, I'm like, you're a fucking adult. (laughs) Just It's like you should be able to see that this action is having this result. Just stop doing it. I know. I know. There's so many things that I feel like, isn't it obvious? And like, like, I'm not sure if that just makes me an asshole or like an uncaring person, but I'm also like, I know. take some responsibility. Yeah. I think for some things like that, like I don't have patience for. <laughs> um, and yeah, because there's some stuff that I feel like is so, because like the podcast that I was on earlier today about intuition Um, like I was talking about how on the chalkboard that we have in the front, how I change what it says every season. Um, and I'm like kind of amused by how so many people look forward 
to like it changing and seeing what it's going to say. And I'm like, what? This shouldn't really be a surprise. Like the weather gets warmer and there's more sunshine. Spend more time outdoors. <laughs> like, why is this novel? It's like, don't have a chilly cook-off in the middle of summer. Like, don't <laughs> don't go to hot yoga when it's fucking 120 degrees outside. Yeah, or like, don't solely eat smoothies and salads in the winter. <laughs> I don't know. But like, sometimes it's brand new information for people. So, I mean, happy to shed that light. Just happy to do it. Do you feel like that's especially difficult in Kentucky? Because I guess here's another mm-hmm. Kentucky story that I thought was really funny is that, you know, in Kentucky, people, there's a lot of earthy constitutions. There's a lot of yeah. dampness just with the weather. You get a lot of people having allergies. And so a lot of people with spleen conditions. Mm-hmm. And so I remember there were certain patients where the practitioner would say, oh, you should avoid eating dairy because, you know, that's bad for your spleen. And so if you stop eating dairy, that can help with your allergies. Then I remember the next week this patient came in and she was like, oh, you'd be so proud of me. I made chocolate chip cookies this weekend. And I remember you said, don't eat dairy. So instead of butter, I used margarine instead. Oh, my God. (laughs) And I was like, just don't eat cookies. Just don't eat cookies. So I don't know. Has, has, so has that been like, do you feel like that's especially difficult in Kentucky versus California where in California you have that hippie vibe and people are into that sort of thing? Is it more difficult in Kentucky? Honestly, no. Um, which is interesting because like Kentucky is always like one of the like unhealthiest states for like so many morbidities, <laughs> like so many things. Um, but like, I think maybe living in San Diego and maybe this is because of like the circle of people that we are around in acupuncture school. I feel like I feel good sharing this information, even though I'm like, Oh, this must seem obvious, but I feel good sharing the information when people are like, I never thought about it that way. Or like, you know, when I talk about like eating with the seasons and like in the winter, having things that are more like slow cooked and hearty and warmer and I'm like, you know, all the spices that are really good for warming you up, like ginger and cinnamon and clove. And they're like, that is really nice this time of year. That does make sense. Whereas I feel like in California, everyone is an expert on nutrition. Do you know what I mean? Everyone is a guru. But, the you know, like, oh, but this new, like, fad thing or like this new thing, it's like, I'm going to go get some goji berries. Yeah. Right? I don't know, but I feel like people in Kentucky are like in tune with nature, but Mm -hmm. in a different way. Like I feel like I had a lot of patients that it's like they have a garden, they work in their garden, they go to bed when the sun goes down, they wake up when the sun goes up. And those patients were just so easy to treat. I got such good results with them versus like the California people, maybe they ate a lot of kale and a lot of goji berries. Yes. But there were still – there were just so many other things going on that it was yeah. difficult to treat them. Yeah, I know. There's like for sure the gardening thing. One, because like there's enough space here and real estate is affordable enough that people have gardens. <laughs> they have their own gardens. But yeah, then and there's it's like, like they can afford to have that slower pace of life. Yeah, too. yes. And like um, our park system here is amazing. We have such great parks with like – Great trails, really awesome, like, 
paved ones too. So it's great for like bikes, strollers, like roller skaters, whatever. Um, and like such a variety of things like, like Red River Gorge, like for climbing. So you do the podcast on intuition. Is intuition the real thing? Uh, yeah, it was really interesting because um, she talks about how intuition is like mapped with the right side of our brain. But there are ways to sort of like map um, when people get these like moments of intuition that can sometimes be similar to like a fight or flight response, whether it's like excitement or whether it's like fear. But I mean, it's very closely linked to our instincts, um, which I guess makes sense. But she was like, what is your definition of intuition? And for me, it's like making a decision regardless of outside forces or outside influences and knowing that the decision feels right. And do you use intuition in your practice, like in terms of choosing acupuncture points or coming up with a treatment? Yeah. I think like if I'm like deciding on like what the main thing going on with the person is, um, maybe if it's like deciding on what their like constitution is or like what the if they have like a laundry list of things, but what the most like challenging or what the root issue is, like deciding on what that is um, and kind of like committing to that. Because then it's like, if I get it wrong, then, you know, they'll give me feedback on it and we'll try another way. So that intuition, is that something that developed over time or did you just, do you just sit down and ohm and see what comes to you? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I definitely don't ohm. (laughs) Um, but I think like it has come more quickly, I guess, with more experience. And so part of me is like, it's not intuition, it's just experience. But I mean, how can you separate the two sometimes? Because I guess what I was getting at is I really like Lonnie Jarrett's definition of intuition in his book, Nourishing Destiny. He says something like when theoretical or academic knowledge and practical experience combine in such a way that it allows you to act unconsciously, that is called intuition. And I really like that because it's saying that intuition is founded in theoretical knowledge plus your practical experience. So it's not just like I I own a few times and the divine light of the universe shines into my head and says, you should do LI4. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's it's actually it's actually based on something, and and so I I kind of feel that way when, like sometimes I do massage and people are like, oh, you have an intuitive touch. What that really means is I spent years studying anatomy and physiology from both a Western perspective and a Chinese perspective, so I have that background of academic information. Yeah, I've also had my hands on thousands of people. I have that <clears throat> practical experience, yeah. and it turns out that. People really aren't that different. Most people have the same problems. And so it's yeah. like, yeah, people when a person comes in. People hold their stress in all the same places. Yeah. So it's like when someone comes in, I know exactly what to do and I don't really have to think about it. But it's mm-hmm. not like some magic force. It's that background of knowledge and experience. And yeah. so that's why I get annoyed when I have students who would be like, oh, yeah, I just use my intuition. It's like you've been doing this for six months. You no, don't have I intuition. Know. I know. And like when we have people who are like, you like, I have this one thing going on and it just won't go away. And it'll be like, so like, what are you eating? I'm, like, I'm just eating intuitively. And you're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
How's that been working out yes, for you? Yes, it's not really working out for you. So I do get annoyed with that kind of like that kind of uh, use of the word intuition because I think intuition is real, um, but I think that some people think they have or are using intuition when it's not when it's not that, or their intuition's messed up. Yeah, I was gonna say. Do you think sometimes people use intuition as an excuse for being lazy? Oh, for sure. I feel like that can be a way, like people being lazy to like not do the research about something or not like really spend the time to like explore a certain change that they need to make. Yeah, I think that can be a really easy out for people. I don't know. Should we end it there and switch to Patrick? Yeah. You want to talk to Patrick? Yeah, sure. Every now and then Patrick has his like binging on peanut M&M's and he's like, I miss Nicholas because he has the same shame I do. We'll just get like the one from Costco that's like huge and he's like, he has like chupito shame where he's like, I can't stop. (laughs) I miss Nicholas. He understands. This episode can be downloaded at podcast.tcmstudy.net slash session nine. As always, thank you to the Patreon members for supporting this podcast. We'll see you next time.